Today, I am preaching a sermon. The title of the sermon is How to Recover from a Not-So-Happily-Ever-After. It's a tough sermon to preach. It's a tough sermon to hear. It's one of those sermons that as soon as I mention a wound, some of you are going to begin to reflect back to the thing that broke your heart. And you're going you're to immediately start to go into a little bit of a hole. And you may stay there for a while and you may miss some of the things that are said. And by the time you clue back in, it's like, oh, I've already missed so much. I might as well think about something else. And so it's a tough sermon to hear. It's a tough sermon to preach. A couple weeks ago, I posted on my Facebook page that I was going to be preaching on the subject of divorce. And I wanted to know how many of my Facebook friends have been affected by it. And there were 58 responses. There were 47 private messages that were sent. I understand that there's a lot of us who have been affected in this room by divorce. But the sermon is not just about divorce. It's, it's, it's amazing how many different ways a heart can break and why. It doesn't just have to be the breakup of a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband or wife. A, a dad or a mom can break your heart. I have talked with many people who have expressed to me through their tears, how could they just up and leave? I thought a mom or a dad were supposed to love me and look forward to having me. I just talked to a gal in first service who said, you know, about how a child had broken her heart. So I I get that, guys. I understand that there's so many different ways for a heart to break. And that's really what the sermon is about today. It's how to recover from a not-so-happily-ever-after when your heart has been fractured and broken. That's what I want to address today. But you need to hear this, too. This is not going to be a mass counseling session. I am not going to be able to sit here and really pull out your personal story and then begin to blend God into it so that you can see his glory and his majesty. This is a sermon. So it is first and foremost about God and how he interacts with us on this common subject of our brokenness and how he wants to be able to be a part of that, with that, in that, with you and how that can help you to be able to grow and and, and to be able to recover. That's what today is about. Now, that being said, I do want to bring in a point that I oftentimes make when I am in a counseling session with somebody and we're talking about brokenness. And it's this principle. It's a principle that I firmly believe in and it's called broken is broken. Okay? Here's the, the illustration to help you understand that point. At one point in time, I had a woman who was 40 years of age, or excuse me, who had been married to her husband for 40 years. She had come into my office and she sat down and she began to tell me about her brokenness in her life because the husband that she had been married to for 40 years was now dead. He had died of cancer. And she was struggling with how to move forward in life when every bit of her life had been altered and changed by this man with her. And now she didn't really know how to move forward in life and she wanted help. Not too long after that, I had a 16-year-old girl sitting in my office who had been dating a kid for four months, and he had broken up with her, and her heart was broken. Now, I ask the question to people all the time, whose heart's more broken? And oftentimes, people will say, well, it's the the little old lady who'd been married for 40 years. And my reply is, is, you're wrong. You try to tell a 16-year-old girl that her heart's not broken. Go for it. It's broken. It is. It really is. And I don't say that just to be funny. I I really do believe that. That's a principle I believe in. Broken is broken. 
And so today, I don't know what your break is or if you've experienced that yet or if you feel like you're pretty well healed from it. But today, that's the topic of discussion is how to, how to recover from a not so happily ever after. So in preparation for this sermon, I was driving down the road in my truck and I heard this song on the radio. I admit that it's not a Christian song. I don't listen to Christian radio all the time. I listen to that hell-bound secular music as well. But you guys already know that I'm a freak, so <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll forgive me because if you haven't, you've already left this church. So... I want you to hear a song. It's by a group called The Script. The title of the song is Break Even. The lyrics will be on the screen. And for those of you who have the sermon notes, you'll see the lyrics on there as well. Listen to this. There's a lot of other out there besides me. <laughs> so here's this guy from a worldly perspective taking a look at the subject of a broken heart. And, and he's expressing that he didn't want this heart broken. This wasn't his plan. And I see in here three themes or three thoughts. And I wanted to address those three things today. First theme is, does a heart break even? And, and it, it explains it in such a way that it's like one person's got all the pain and the other person's scot-free, running away, 
no problem whatsoever, everything's good, everything's great. Does that really happen that way? That's the first thing, first thing I want to address today. Second one is this idea of Christ's conversion. I just prayed to a God that I don't believe in. What happens when we do get to that place of pain? Is it true? Does that, does that really take place where a person who doesn't believe in the existence of God suddenly finds themselves in such a situation where they are so fractured that they're like, hmm, uh, you know, I don't really know if you're there or not, but if you are, I could sure use your help. Is God okay with that? Is he not okay with that? Does that even happen? I want to address that the second thing. Third theme is this whole idea of will this pain ever go away? Is it really possible? I know people tell me wise things. I know people say that this idea it might help you, you know, if you go and do this or you go and do that. This idea or this theme of no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter who says it, I'm still hurting, I am still bleeding, and, and quite frankly, this sucks. I don't even know if I'm ever going to feel good again. I want to address those three things today with you. And what I really want to do more than anything is express what does God think about these three things? How does he blend into it? First theme, does a heartbreak even? I want to go back to the very first relationship that is ever mentioned in the Bible. It's the one of Adam and Eve. If you're not familiar with the Bible, in Genesis it talks about how God created all things and it talks about how he made Adam and it talks about how he made Eve. And I believe we learn an awful lot about this subject of whether or not a heart breaks even from looking at this first relationship. Take a look at this with me. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24 and the words will be on the screen there for you. Then the Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So here's a Here's a point that I want to make out of this. Not only do we see in here that God has, has established this need that Adam has that he sees and Adam doesn't get it yet. You see, I hope you notice that. That God's like, hey man, it's not good that you're alone. And it doesn't say that Adam's like, hey dude, I'm struggling here. I really need some help. I feel all alone. No, that's not Adam. It's God saying that. So God's like, well, I'll make all these animals. I'll pray them all in front of them. And Adam finally realizes there's nobody really here in all that I've seen that's suitable for me. So God goes through a process of making a woman. And when he makes this woman, even though this shouldn't be taken in the literal sense that he literally made a woman from a rib, what he's trying to imply here is that the intimacy that Adam suddenly felt with Eve was beyond that of a physical thing. 
We sometimes tend to think of the physical relationship as being the pinnacle or the peak. But what God was saying was is that there was truly something beyond that to material. That truly when two people fall madly, deeply in love with one another, or they are genuinely dependent and bound to the other, that when that is separated, it's almost as if a part of you is removed with that other person. Which is why you see in this song this lyric that says, what am I supposed to do when the best part of me was always you? That's a biblical statement. It's a natural thing for a person to say because when they lose somebody close to them, again, spouse, mom, dad, child, it hurts. It's supposed to hurt. You were designed that way. That's the way we were made. It's supposed to hurt. And so it's easy for me to go and look at the statistics about divorce or breakups or anything like that and go, well, duh. All the statistics show, all of them prove that when a fractured relationship takes place, everybody loses. Nobody wins. The thought that a heart doesn't break even, remember, broken is broken. It is worthless to say, well, this person hurts more than that person. Even when you have to divorce or break off a relationship for all the right reasons, whether there's abuse involved or there's drugs or alcohol or things like that that are involved, it still hurts you to have to make that tough call, that tough decision. You become jaded by that. I can't tell you how many people I've gone through and I looked at a bunch of my notes from previous counseling sessions, even the ones that I'm still performing to this day, People who have had to pull the plug on a relationship for whatever reason express to me the, the regret, sometimes the doubts, sometimes the long-lasting effects that it's had on their life. And I have listened to them try to solve the problems in their own way, in their own form. For instance, I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, we're not going to get married. <laughs> we're just going to live together and, and we're going to avoid all the risks that come with marriage. Right. Like your heart really is going to find that threshold and stop with love. And then when you sign the marriage certificate, the rest of that love kicks in. Right? Doesn't make sense to me either. No, the cold hard facts is that you fall in love long before a marriage certificate has ever been signed. Love is one of those things that when you experience it, Again, whether it's toward a man or a woman or a child or a mom or a dad, when your heart is intertwined and you are made materially a part of one another, when that, when that relationship fractures, fractures, broken is broken and everybody loses and everybody hurts. No one wins. God sees that pain. He knows that that pain is there because he designed it to be there. He's aware of that. So does a heartbreak even? Doesn't matter. Broken's broken. Next theme. Second theme. God, if you're real, help me. There is some truth to crisis conversions. I've seen them take place. There is no doubt that when many of us have gotten to a place in life and we realize, oh my goodness, um, I'm about ready to lose it here. I'm going to die or I'm going to get hurt or something bad has really, really happened. It's taken place in your life. There is a tendency to look toward a higher power, people will call it. I remember when 9-11 took place, I was standing in a room, I was watching the second tower fall, and everybody knew that I was a believer at that time, but uh, all the people that I knew that weren't believers, they were praying. 
They were so praying, and they wanted me to pray, and so we, we all sat down, and they had no problem with me praying. But I've watched all kinds of crisis conversions take place. But even more so than that, here's what I have seen. I have seen the person who doesn't deny the existence of God. They just lived as if he doesn't exist. And they've been doing their life, doing their thing, spending time doing all the wrong things, and then suddenly they come to that place in life where their world has fallen all apart, their relationships are fractured, and now they'd like to be able to go to God and say, God, would you please help me? But they're so ashamed, and they believe that God is holding a grudge against them, that somehow, some way, God's going to be like, oh, sure, yeah. You've been driving in the driver's seat for a long time and now you've just blown your world up and you want me to come in and fix it now? I don't think so. You're on your own, sucker. And that's, it. that's truly the perception that they oftentimes have of God is that God is, is angry at them, that he's upset with them and now he wants them to suffer. That's not true. That is so not true. I want to read to you out of Psalm 86.5 and there are so many other verses that I could use but this one kind of sums up a lot of verses. Oh, Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Just to make sure that we're, we're clued in here, I looked up that word all. Do you know what that word all means? All. I know. It's amazing. All. All. Let that just resonate. If you are a person who has felt like, for whatever reason, you need God's help, but you just don't know whether or not he's going to help you, this truth is right there for you. God's so ready. It's like he's anxious to help you, all of you. But that being said, I've learned this in my life, a really valuable lesson and I want to share this with you because when we come to a place where we are seeking God's help in our life to fix this problem, this mess, whether we created it or somebody else created it, we all need to understand this truth about God. It's in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. It says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Loose translation, if you think that you can figure out the way that I am going to help you in your life, if you think that somehow, some way, the work that I am going to, be, to do is going to be just like the way that you would do it, or how you would prescribe it to be done, uh-uh, I'm God. I'm going to do something, and it's going to be awesome. Awesome! But it's not going to be anything like what you're thinking because you're not awesome. <laughs> I am. That's what God is trying to say. Loose translation in this verse. Okay? He's awesome. We're not. We come up with this brilliant plan. God, I got an idea how you can fix my mess. And God's like, oh, cool. <laughs> not cool. And the reason why I say this is because this is the oldest trick of the devil in the book, is to get us to start looking at God with a wrong perspective, and as a direct result, it erodes the relationship. It changes it, it erodes it, it takes it from a place where it's good to a place where it's not good. I'll give you an example. Let's go back to Adam and Eve again. Adam and Eve, great relationship. Walking and talking, hanging around in a super cool garden with God. Everything's perfect. It's awesome. 
Satan comes along, the great deceiver, and he begins to get Adam and Eve to believe that somehow, some way, that God's really not for them. In fact, what God is doing is holding them back. He says to them, really, you can't eat the, the, tr- the, the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden? No, God says not to do it, otherwise we'll surely die. He's like, oh, you won't die. You won't die. Here's the deal. God's holding back on you. He knows that if you eat that, you become like him, knowing uh, both good and evil. You'll be awesome. And what does every person in this room want to be? Awesome. We want to be like God. We want to do things our way. We want to call the shots. We want to make the plan. And we lose perspective of God in the midst of that. And so let's never lose perspective. When we do lose perspective of God, it will erode the relationship. And so back to this theme. If you're going through a crisis or you've been through a crisis, uh, someday you might go through a crisis. In that moment... It is so good to turn to God for help. No doubt about it. But know this, that his help may not come in the way that you think. And if you're going to God saying, God, if you really are real, prove it to me. Know this, that God is not interested in proving his reality of existence to you alone. We're told in the Bible, even the demons believe that he is real and they shudder at it. Why would God want you just to believe that he is real? What he wants is a sweet ever-growing and ever-deepening relationship with you that is intimate beyond physical to material. That's what God wants. And the wrong perspective would be that God caused your terrible circumstance so that you would turn your eyes toward him. That is a wrong perspective of God. A right perspective of God is that God knows you so well And he is so awesome that he knows how to use even the worst circumstances in your life to show you how incredible his love is for you. That's a right perspective. So no matter how bad or it is, was, or will be in your life, you can count on this, that God, with the right perspective, is going to prove to you not only that he exists, but this amazing, indescribable love for you. I promise. Third thing. When will this pain go away? Is this ever really going to stop? Is there ever going to come a point in time where I can lay my head down on a pillow at night and not be thinking about this tragedy? Or when I wake up in the morning that it's not the first thing to just push me down again? For those of you who have been in a heartbreak, you know what I'm talking about. It is oppressive. It, it seems to suck life from everything that used to be fun, it's tough. There's that lyric in the song there, they say bad things happen for a reason, but no wise words are gonna stop the bleeding. Oh, that's so true, man. When you're in the middle of a situation where it's it's just terrible and someone comes along with some flippant answer, you just wanna knock teeth out. (laughs) I know, I know. And you, you'll try just about anything to make the pain go away. Some of you have tried, you have tried drugs, you have tried alcohol, you have tried sex. But yet that pain always is there waiting for you again. Some of you think that if you just stay busy enough, that it will distract you. But I promise you that it's just like the drugs and the alcohol and the sex. It's always waiting for you when you slow down. None of those things will work. And the wise words, again, that people offer sometimes come across very flippantly because they just don't, they really don't know your circumstances. 
but I want to offer you some wise words from God, who I believe does know your circumstances. And I want to explain it this way. I learned a valuable lesson when I was a kid, but I didn't know the meaning of that lesson until much later on when I was an adult. And that valuable lesson is this. Bleeding is healing. Bleeding is healing. Let me explain. And for those of you who have weak stomachs, it's perfectly okay for you to stick your fingers in your ears right now and just quietly go, la, 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 la. Because i got to describe something in order for you guys to understand what I mean by bleeding is healing. When I was about 13 years of age, me and my friend Ricky were running around through the woods right close by my house, and we were pretending to be giants. And so we were grabbing all these glass beer bottles that people had, had discarded, and we were stomping on them with our feet and crushing them. And they were like buildings and cars. And <laughs> we're having a great time. Brilliant plan. And uh, I, I got too close to the, that thick bottle bottom edge. And when I stomped down, it turned and it stuck a two-inch shard of glass right up through the bottom of my shoe and right up through my foot. And it poked not quite out the top, but just stretched the skin so that it was bruised on underneath of the skin. And I fell to the ground. And it was actually this foot. And I, I pulled that glass brown bottle off of there and I looked at it and there was this liquid going down it and when it dripped and hit the ground I saw that's my blood and Ricky and I looked at one another and we looked down at my foot and it was already starting to fill the dirt underneath my foot and I got up and I ran home which was another brilliant plan <laughs> by the time I got to the front porch of my house the blood had, it was foaming out of my shoelaces and it was all over the place. You could see everywhere I had stepped. It was up my leg and I passed out. And my parents put me in a car and drove me to the hospital. And by the time I got to the hospital, I was completely gone. And I remember waking up on this, this table in a room and they had me all hooked up. I was getting a blood transfusion. And the doctor was saying to me, it's a good thing that you lost as much blood as you did actually because that flushed probably most of the debris in, the, in that wound out, the glass and the dirt and all the other stuff that was there, bleeding was healing. He says, but we need, we need to keep it open for three days. I want you to keep your foot above your heart. So I'm laying down with my foot above my heart for three days, leaving this open so that it can continue to weep and seep and bleed. How many of you have ever tried to pee with your foot above your heart? Anybody here? I thought that might be a small club. <laughs> I'll tell you something. Talk about a whole new mess. <laughs> it gave me crystal clear thought on how stupid I was to be stomping around on bottles. Sometimes bleeding is healing because what it does is it gives us the opportunity to take a look at ourselves in the midst of our suffering and recognize, what did I do to cause this? What did I, what did I do? What do I have to own in this? Was I being a complete and total jerk? Was I selfish? Was I, was I wrong on these and these and Sometimes the bleeding is healing because what it does is it gives us an opportunity to just stop and sit in that suffering and go, you know what? I'm not awesome. I'm not 
awesome. In fact, I'm not even spectacular. I'm not, not even shiny. In fact, if anything, I'm, I'm dull. And I'm, I'm trouble waiting to happen. And left to myself, I'm going to destroy just about every relationship because for me, I'm all about me. And that is good. Bleeding is healing. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom from the Bible, from God, toward us to say, you know, guys, it's a great idea for every single person in this room to have a proper perspective of God and a proper perspective of yourself. Let's not estimate ourselves more highly than what we ought to. And let's definitely give God the glory for who he is. But what about those wounds you didn't cause? What about those wounds that you had no control over? You didn't ask for the breakup. You didn't ask for the divorce. You didn't ask for the mom or the dad to run out. You didn't ask for the child to be hit and killed in that crash. You didn't, you didn't ask for that child to be lost before you ever got a chance to hold it. You didn't ask for it to die in your arms. You didn't ask for that pain. You didn't sign up for it. This was not something that you bargained for. And in those moments, you start to go, God, what were you thinking? Where were you on that one? What about those wounds? There's no bleeding that's going to become healing that you and I can do. And we all get to that place. We all do. There eventually comes a point in time where I believe that every single person in this room needs to have one of those thief on the cross moments where they recognize, you know what? I am a scumbag. I deserve to die. And I need a savior to save me. And until you come to that place, I sometimes wonder how effective salvation will really be worked out in your life or in my life until we come to a place where we go, oh, I need help. Those wounds, I believe God is the only one that can bleed to heal them. And praise God he was willing to do so. I want to read to you a passage in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. I'm sure that for you churchy people who have heard about the prophetic passages of Christ in, in the Old Testament, you've heard this passage before. But there's a component of it that I, I know rarely gets touched on. Let me read this to you. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. You see, a part of the good news of Jesus Christ is not just that he took the penalty of our sins and that he was crushed so that we wouldn't have to be. A part of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and through his death, burial, and resurrection from that cross and grave was that he took our sorrows. He understands our weakness. He knows exactly what it is that you and I are going through in the deepest sense when I tell you broken is broken. It doesn't matter how you got there or what it's like. I can assure you that God understands what brokenness is. He understands what it means to be rejected. He understands what it means to be torn apart. He understands what it means to have offered all of his love to you and to have you reject it. He gets it. 
He knows it. And that what he wanted to do was more than just take your sin away. What he wanted to do was take your sorrow and to take your pain onto himself and say, I can fix this. I can heal this. I can change your terrible and awful and wicked circumstances into something that will bring you joy. I can do this. I'm the only one who can. You will never find that kind of fulfillment or that kind of happiness in any other thing other than me. And that is the point of this sermon. Every single person in this room, regardless of where you're at, needs to be every day striving to have a sweeter and more intimate relationship with God. Striving to be material, not physical, a material part of him, of you, and you of him. Not just you created in his own image, but that he is alive and in you and that you become a new person with a new life, with a whole new perspective, seeing things through a completely different lens. And all of us can get better at that. There isn't a person in this room that is so holy that they don't have room to grow. And I'm sure that there are many in this room who know that you're not holy. You just want some help. You just want some hope. And that today is what, that's today what I believe God wants to offer. He wants to offer you some healing. So that's what I want to do is I want to pray for you. And that's what I'm going to close with the rest of the sermon. We're going to sing another song here in a bit, but I want to pray for you right now. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads, and let me pray for you. Lord, I know that there are a lot of people in this room. I, I can see their faces. I can see their reactions to the things that I say. I don't know what their hearts are doing, though. I don't know what their minds are thinking, though, Lord. But you do. I know that you do. And there's no way that I can offer up some simple prayer that just covers everybody's personal need right now. And so I beg of you to do what I can't and that your Holy Spirit would personally and intimately in a material way work in every soul that is in this room right here, right now. Invade this place and these people with you so that they know that you are present in their life in this moment. For those, Lord, that have never, ever started a relationship with you, haven't, haven't known how, but want to, Lord, I pray that right now you would impress upon their hearts how much you love them and care for them and how long you have waited for this moment for them to be able to turn their heart toward you and with their own voice and with their own thoughts express to you how much they want that relationship. And if that's you, I'm gonna offer up a very simple prayer you can make your own. Father, I, I believe in you. I believe that you exist. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. And I believe he's the only one that can save me. I surrender my life. I surrender my sin. I give it all over to you. And I pray that you would fill me with your presence and change me. Help me to live a life for you. For you. Help me to be different. And if that's your prayer, I promise you, that not only does God mark you and identify you and fill you with his Holy Spirit, but that you have entered into a brand new relationship with him and you might even be feeling it right now. For those of you who are in this room and, and you have been thinking for years, I know you exist, God, but man, do you really forgive me? Do you really forgive me for the things that I have done? 
Father, help them to understand that their sin is not a shock to you, that their sin is not a surprise to you. Help them to understand, Lord, that you have known them from the beginning until their end, and that nothing that they do catches you off guard. Help them to know that you love them and that you are so anxious and ready to forgive and to help them in this time of need, and that you will bless their soul and their heart and that you will heal them. Lord, for the people who are in this room today who have already experienced the tragedy of heartbreak and they have already discovered how beautiful you are in the way that you heal, Lord, I pray that you would grow them even more so that they become more useful to you and to your plan to be able to love and to bless other people who are going through this now. May they become the counselors who guide and direct others to take more healthy steps towards you. And as they do, Lord, may they ever increasingly desire you and may the passion of their, their, their life be something that is focused around you. Lord, you are so good. And I am thankful for the intimacy that I share with you. I thank you for your, your patience, your kindness, and your forgiveness. I thank you for loving me even when I hated you. Thank you so much for all you have done. You are so good and so able to take every sin every heartache and every pain and to heal us one and all for your glory and I pray that every person in this room would experience that today or at least the start of it and I pray this in Christ's name, amen will you stand with me the ushers are going to come forward and pass out those offering bags this is an opportunity for you to give be faithful in that form of worship. If you're new with us today, please tear off that, that tab, that connection card, communication card, and drop that in there. We'd love to be able to connect with you. After the song, I'll come back up and dismiss us. I want to remind you guys of a couple of things. One, there's communion available both at the front corners here of the auditorium. If you want prayer, there'll be people up here that'll be ready to pray with you. There's a lot of uh, services that are available to you guys who are struggling either with divorce or divorce care, or if you're suffering from the loss of a loved one, there's grief share. A lot of opportunities for you to be able to get some of that counseling. And if you do need counseling, feel free. Call the office, set something up with myself or one of the other pastors. We'd be happy to either meet with you, talk with you as time allows and time permits. But uh, thanks for being here. God bless you guys. See you next week.